Hi, and welcome to Social Work Journeys, a podcast brought to you by the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research at Bryn Mawr College. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am Mary Florence Sullivan, your host. Social Work Journeys was created to showcase the amazing work of our incredible community. We feature conversations with GSSWSR students, alums, faculty, and staff, where we talk about their journeys through social work and all the peaks and valleys they've traversed along the way. We hope Social Work Journeys gives you some insight into the many pathways a career in social work can present and will help answer some questions that might come up as we explore the world together. Today, we will be joined by one of our fabulous alums of the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research, Karen Ehrlichman. Karen discusses her journey through social work and spirituality. I'm so excited and honored to have with us a fabulous alum of our program who will be sharing experience with us, um, our social work experience, as well as having a conversation around spirituality and social work. So Karen, welcome to Social Work Journeys. If you could please get us started, I know I just gave a brief intro already, but if you could please get us started by uh, introducing yourself talking about your pronouns, what pronouns you you use, and any interests you have, personal interests, professional interests, anything that comes to mind. Sure. I'm delighted to be here this morning. My name is Karen Ehrlichman. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a Philadelphia native, but for the past 30, almost 34 years, I've lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. I moved out here for a job, a social work job. And um, I uh, was a perinatal social worker for 10 years, and so I moved out here for that uh, position. And um, for the past, like, 25 years or so, have been in private practice, um, offering psychotherapy, and then doing some other kinds of consulting, which we'll probably get into a little bit later. Um And personally, I love cooking, um, hiking. I live like a mile and a half from the ocean. So I try to walk out to the beach almost every morning if I can. Um, I was not there this morning because we're having a problem with feral turkeys in my neighborhood. Oh my gosh, feral turkeys. (laughs) It sounds terrifying. Really terrifying. (laughs) I feel like they're they're right out of a Disney movie, you know, like the... I saw them walking down the street and uh, they got really ominous and kind of aggressive. And I was like, yeah, I think I'll turn around and go in the yeah, other Yeah, I don't direction. think so. <laughs> I don't need to go for a hike with wild turkeys. It's crazy. No. Uh, thank you so much. No, I, I live in New York City and actually we have had in the past well, uh, feral wild turkeys on Staten Island. It was like a whole thing. They were tracking people's cars. Um, so despite it being a very uh, big city, things like that still happen. Wow. Um, but, yeah. But um, thank you so much for sharing. And I also, I love that you, I am both jealous and also love that you said you go to the ocean every every day if you can, because it's one of the places, and I know we're talking about spirituality, it's one of the places that I feel really connected and grounded. And it really, I need people also don't think of New York as a beach town, but it is, it's, it's, 
peninsula and islands kind of surrounded by oceans. So you can get there, but um, being a mile and a half from it is, and being able to walk to it is pretty incredible. Um, so you talked a little bit about your, a little bit about your social work journey, how you ended up in the Bay Area. Um, what could you share more about your social work journey, specifically maybe starting with your time at the GSSWSR? Um, what made you just apply to social work school to come to social work school? And what was your journey like afterwards? Absolutely. Um, I, I have to say, I am still to this day, extremely proud to be a social worker. It is, I'm honored to be part of this profession. And um, I, uh, my original calling, if you want to say it that way, when I was very young, like elementary school age was I wanted to be a rabbi. Um, at, at that time, there were no women rabbis. So I ended up pursuing the secular path and I became a social worker instead. Um, I really wanted to be of service. I felt really drawn to the core ethics and values of social work. And also I really appreciated and still do the variety of different roles um, that social workers can have. I didn't want to feel... Um, backed into a corner career-wise. I wanted to have a lot of choices. I like to have a, a variety um, of different work projects. And um, I just felt really drawn to social work as a profession and and actually to, to Bryn Mawr's program in particular because of the strong social justice focus. Mm -hmm. When I first started at Bryn Mawr, I did not want to be a therapist. Uh, I was a really annoying student where I was like, if, if all you care about is the toilet training, then go get a psychology degree. Like I was very like, we're here to change the world. And here I am, you know, many, many years later being a therapist, much to my surprise. But, um, and I, um, I'm trying to think of what I want to say about, I had an incredibly positive experience at the Graduate School of Social Work. And Carol Jaffe was one of my professors and she lives here in the Bay area and oh, wow. we are really good friends That's and wonderful. it's been really wonderful to have her in my life as a, a mentor and a, and a colleague and a spiritual friend also. Like I, I don't remember how many years ago, it's probably over 10 years ago when her mother died, she asked me if I would lead the Shiva minion for her, mm -hmm. which is basically like a, mm -hmm. Shiva is the first seven days after somebody dies. And um, and so we really have just developed this wonderful collegial friendship over the years. That's really special. And it also just shows how meaningful those early connections, especially among social workers, I find, and people who really connect on pretty deep and personal issues and what brings them to the work, how long and how yeah, just so extensive those connections can be and how they can Definitely. grow. Um, I will say at the time when I was at Bryn Mawr, I, I completed the program in 1987. Um, there was no content, spiritual content really, except like the history of the profession. Like I feel like our roots are very much um, cultural and spiritual roots and and some religious roots, um, for sure. Um, but 
I'm really glad that now, decades later, when we think about a biopsychosocial assessment, we also say a biopsychosocial spiritual assessment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. There was one person on the faculty, Joyce Lewis, who um, was kind of the um, the official. I, I mean, it's hard to say. There were other people there who were peripherally spiritual, like mm-hmm. either because of their Jungian work or Joyce was, um, I'm not violating any confidentiality here. She was clean and sober. And so she had a really Mm -hmm. strong 12 step spirituality, Mm -hmm. but we really, it wasn't really a part of the curriculum. It wasn't really part of the literature then so much either. Um, so I'm glad that that has changed. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned that because we were talking before we got on and started recording today about how social work is sometimes folks in the social work world can be really welcoming of talking about spirituality and talking about the role of spirituality. And in some cases, religion plays in communities and and the work that we do. And a lot of communities, at least in my experience, a lot of communities I've worked with have talked about how important spirituality is in terms of faith and hope and healing. And then there's other people who really do shy away from talking about it, or it makes some people a little bit nervous to talk about it. So you've started talking about this a a little bit already, um, but could you talk about the intersection of spirituality and social work just generally, but also within your work and why it's so important or why do you feel that it's so meaningful to integrate into kind of the social work conversation? When I think about a few of the core social work values, starting where the client is being with people where they are honoring their right to self-determination, that means that we don't come in with our own imposed values or imposed agenda that we're really listening for where the people we work with, where they find meaning, dignity, community, and support. And for some people that is in their religious communities. So making the distinction a little bit between religion and spirituality, for some people they're the same and for other people they're not. And you alluded to the spiritual dimension when you talked about the ocean, because for some people where they get their spiritual nourishment is in nature, whether it's water or trees or animals or gardening Um, for them, that's a place where they feel connected to something bigger. It's how they feel grounded. Um, And so we're not necessarily asking people if they like hold a particular religious belief system, although it might be interesting to know, but, um, but it's like leaving out an important part of people's lived experience and their histories if we don't inquire about that. And so for me, when I'm doing an intake with somebody new, I always ask them, did you grow up with a particular religion or spiritual tradition? And do you have a spiritual practice now as an adult? And I'm asking people if they've been sexually abused, if they make themselves throw up, if they use drugs and alcohol, Mm -hmm. I can ask them about their spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand people's discomfort with it. 
whether it's because of separation of church and state, which seems to be disappearing rapidly, but that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, or it's very when, timely for, right? for this week. Yeah. <laughs> we, we also work with people who have also experienced trauma within religious institutions. And so if we don't ask about religion, then we are also our trauma lens, our trauma-informed lens is missing an important facet, um, mm-hmm. whether it's as a resource or it's been a source of, of pain for them. And I'll give you an interesting example. This was like a pivotal moment for me about 25 years ago or so, when I was still working at the hospital as a perinatal social worker, I worked on a project with a nurse um, about women who used crack cocaine during pregnancy. So this was the late eighties and the early nineties. It was kind of the height of the crack epidemic. And we were employing both quantitative and qualitative research methods to really understand the experience of women in pregnancy who had a history of using crack cocaine, what their social support systems were like, their self-esteem, where they were on the depression scale. And um, one of the things we noticed on the social support scale was a lot of people only listed a higher power or God as a social support for them. Like there had been so much damage and trauma in their relationships with other people that I remember saying to myself, thinking to myself, wow, this is so, this is really deep. Like even with all of the bridges that have been burned and all of the traumas that they have experienced with other humans, that they feel this deep connection to something, some kind of a higher power. And I think this is important, even though I'm not exactly sure why it's important. Like I filed it away in my mind, like this means something important. That's fascinating. What a meaningful experience to have, especially given where you went with your career, but also so early in your in your social work experience, um, kind of building off of that, I know you also have a, a doctorate of, is it doctor of ministry or doctor, doctor of ministry? Doctor uh-huh. of ministry. Could you talk about how, what led you to kind of get, become a doctor of ministry and um, kind of where you maybe were in your social work career at that point? Yeah, absolutely. I toyed with the idea of going through chaplaincy residency and becoming a chaplain but I was really burnt out on working in hospital setting one and two. I found that the, my experience of interacting with the chaplains in the hospital was that they were at that time, Christian white and fairly traditional. And I didn't see myself reflected in that. And um, I ended up through a friend, it's a short version of a very long story. Um, I'd been involved in the what we used to call the Jewish healing movement because it, my work, my professional work has had kind of two parallel tracks, which are now integrated. But one was the women's health kind of medical social work track. And the other was being a professional working in the Jewish community. And so I had this long standing interest in Jewish spiritual care and a colleague of mine who's a rabbi um, told me about something called spiritual direction, 
And he said a lot of the rabbis in the Jewish healing movement are taking this training mostly through um, Catholic training programs. And you might be interested in pursuing this. And so I called Sister Marianne Schofield on the phone and I went to the Mercy Center near my house and had a conversation with her and felt really drawn to that path. It was kind of the missing piece as a social worker in a way, which is um, a practice of really being with people on their spiritual journeys. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I did five years of training with the Sisters of Mercy, actually. So three years of basic spiritual direction training. And then like a good social worker, I wanted to learn how to work with groups. So I did a year of group spiritual direction training. And then I, a couple years later, I trained as a supervisor. So I, I train and supervise spiritual directors now. And I went in, I have to confess, with a little bit of hubris, like I've been a social worker for a long time. I know what deep listening is like, and I know how to be with people where they are. And I really went in on the one hand with a good foundation, but on the other hand, not realizing that there was this contemplative approach to really following the thread of the sacred in people's lives that for some people was about God, but for other people is not about God. And it also felt very resonant with my values as a social worker. And so I decided, this is a long answer to your question about the doctor of ministry. I wanted to, um, I really wanted to pursue a doctorate um, that I felt like integrated all of who I am. And um, so I went to this program, this, there is a Bryn Mawr connection here, actually. So I went to the Graduate Theological Foundation, which is an independent, self-directed interfaith seminary. And I, when I was working on my final project, I called Carol Jaffe. And I said, I really want, would you be willing to be my doctoral project advisor. I can petition the school to have you as my advisor because I really want you to hold me to the highest standard of scholarship mm. possible because I'm in this independent program, but I really want to walk away with um, a final project that has that quality of excellence. And so she said, yes. So we petitioned the school and she was my advisor and um and I actually, I won the Mother Teresa Award That's for that so final project, which wow. I thought was hilarious. <laughs> um, and I was really honored to be there. And um, and supervising spiritual directors is like my great love of really oh, being wow. able to, to pay it forward and to yeah. mentor the next generation of, of spiritual care providers. That's an incredible story. And I feel like I have so much... And I want to ask you about out of the context of the podcast too, just because of the way it relates to my own social work practice and my life, but we won't, we won't get into that. But I'm, I just think the way you just entered into the spiritual direction piece and talked about just the sacred, I don't, the sacred thread or the sacred journey people go on throughout their lives as they heal and um, kind of move through their life is such an incredible way to connect 
what you do to those early ways of thinking through social work and uh, supervising spiritual director, people giving spiritual direction. It just must be a really, um, yeah, just a powerful experience, I think, and supporting folks. So um, that's a thank you for sharing that story. Um, I know you mentioned this a little while ago, but how the social, like we talked a little bit about how the social work world has changed in terms of how people think about spirituality as it relates to social work or spiritual direction. Um, could you talk a little bit more about, about that? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? How has it changed? Um, where does it still need to go? Maybe if you, I know you said you had no classes on it, but if there were any kind of early inklings uh, back when either you were at the social work school or earlier on in your career, just any kind of further thoughts on, on that idea of how the social work world has or has not changed in terms of how it connects to spirituality. I think it has definitely changed and not just in terms of spirituality, but also in terms of um, racial diversity, gender diversity, cultural diversity, and um, values diversity. Oh, and, and I think spirituality is connected to all of mm -hmm. those things. Um, and so there now are, books and articles. And I think there's even a professional journal that's yes. dedicated to spirituality and social yeah. work. There's a yeah. professional organization. Um, so I, there are, thankfully, it still might be a small minority of people in the profession, but there are resources out there. There's now um, Smith and NYU have certificate programs that have a spiritual focus. Smith's is called something like Con contemplative practice and social work. I can't remember, but um, I just recently finished working on a project actually with a social worker who went to NYU and also got their certificate in spirituality and social worker and spirituality and social work and is a rabbinical student. Her name is Ariel Cruel. Shout out to Ariel. She's amazing. And we just created a curriculum for an organization called At The Well, that um, a curriculum that focuses on uh, Jewish women, wellness, spirituality, and aging in the second half of life. And it was so fun to bond and work on this together, like as social workers and as Jewish women and with a passion for spirituality. And so I think there, there is a, there's a creative spirit there. The other thing I want to say about that is like for me, from my culture and my spirituality as a Jewish person, my first job out of social work school was working um, for a Jewish organization. And I learned that there was this whole history of Jewish, what, what's referred to as Jewish communal service of family service agencies and JCCs and agencies that serve mm -hmm immigrants and the elderly and and it's all rooted in Jewish values and so even though it's primarily cultural but there is a religious component too and I remember in that job so that was 1987 so I was 25 I had just gotten my master's of social services from Bryn Mawr I was like wow this whole community of practice is out here and I had no idea like there were no, you know, and 
the Catholic community has had Catholic social services, Episcopal community services. It's not different. You know, the African-American community has had faith-based programs. It's not like it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, well, there's only so much you can squeeze into two years in a master's program, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, so I think that it's definitely broadened and deepened. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're saying that I kind of, the way I grew up was within the Catholic worker movement values oh, yeah. of, of, um, of Catholicism. And I'm very connected to, I'm from upstate New York and I'm very connected to the community there where I'm from. And there's a very deep history within Catholicism and Christianity, Christianity, but that the Catholic worker movement particular, particularly connected to around Catholic social teaching and just so, this, like a deep values around social justice. So um, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about that within within Judaism and within um, kind of community-based and community services for folks. And I know, the, and I, I, before we got on, I was talking a little, about, a little bit about my research, but I know that um, there's a lot of interfaith movements between different groups that are also working on social justice projects and um, social justice work. And there's just a lot of incredible connections, like deep and meaningful connections that really um, run through different groups And I'm just curious, actually, this is not a prepared question, just on that train of thought. I'm just curious about um, thinking about the work that interfaith movements can do. Um, What what do you think it is about spirituality and maybe those those deeper connections that, um, or is it about spirituality that kind of connect interfaith social justice movements? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Oh my God, there's so much I can say about that. Um, I... I'm always deeply moved when I see different faith communities come together, especially for social justice activism. Um, so that's one, one place I think where we can, even though theoretically, and we're, when we're doing political activism together, it's technically secular, but it's, deeply rooted in spiritual values. Um, And it's a place where we can have some shared interfaith theology together to, to tend to the suffering of the world. Um, And I also, um, I ran an interfaith program for a couple of years, like one of my interesting side gigs. And I, created and ran groups called creating a shared spirituality for interfaith couples. Like there was a way in which kind of on a smaller scale, people from different religious traditions would get into relationships together. And then if they were going to get married or when they decided to have children, all of a sudden they would kind of bump into their family history or their family religion, or they would all of a sudden find that things that they didn't think they cared about, like, why do you want to have your child circumcised? Oh, because it's what you're supposed to do. Well, so what is it about that? You know, so there, um, so, and then also there are ways in which I helped create programs that supported couples to define their own shared spirituality, whether it was their morning cup of coffee or walking on the beach or meditating together, uh, just as a couple of examples. Um, I'm actually working on a project right now through the Center for Courage and Renewal, which is a wonderful organization started by Parker Palmer. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I've heard of, I've heard, I was recently reading about them. I can't remember why, but yes. <laughs> so Parker Palmer is a Quaker educator. He has some Philadelphia roots actually, because he lived at Pendle Hill, which is a Quaker community for a long time. And um, within the Courage and Renewal, um, there's a network of facilitators of which I am one. Um, there are like different, communities of practice. There are some of us who've worked in healthcare, some of us who are in education, some in, in who are clergy or spiritual lay leaders. And so the Center for Courage and Renewal just got a very large grant from the Lilly Foundation to do some professional development work for trained facilitators who are working in faith communities. And so they asked me if I wanted to be part of this planning team. And so what we're doing is a year long program that starts with an in-person retreat. And then over the course of a year, we will be meeting in subgroups that we're calling soul circles, but are basically like peer kind of peer learning and peer support. And one of the things that people have said it, that they're really drawn to is to find some common ground spiritually together. We're so, we're so careful for good reasons. We're so careful about not stepping on other people's toes and um, not imposing our religious practices on other people that sometimes we've, we've kind of sanitized things a little bit too much. And what would it be like to really be creative together? Like there are rituals that go across traditions like hand washing and candle lighting and meditation and social justice activism. There are these common threads that we all share, you know, how do we learn from each other and practice together in the service of bringing this out into the world to help support the communities that we're part of. So that's, that's actually starting. We're planning it now. The kickoff retreat is in July, and then it'll be like a whole year long professional development project. Oh, wow. That sounds incredible. Absolutely incredible. And just to have, there's such a, I think, communal element to what you're talking about, just both connecting to other folks who, you know, might be from different backgrounds, but have similar, um, just find meaning in similar things or similar, like you said, traditions or um, feel connected for a variety of reasons, but yeah, um, that that community piece, I guess, is what I'm trying to talk about. Is we've talked we talk a lot about, a lot on this podcast, but also a lot in um, our work at the school within student services and in other areas about this community care element of social work that's so essential. And I think what you're talking about in terms of this program that you're working on, but also just the way that um, people can be in community together and support one another through whatever spirituality and spiritual tradition means to them is so meaningful. Um, uh, yeah. One thing I want to share that's um, been like at this age and stage of my life, that's been an interesting challenge for me is to find a community that is politically progressive and spiritually deep. In, in more progressive, I'm going to say, congregations, because people have such 
um, a conflicted or ambivalent relationship to the idea of God, and I'm making little air quotes, in order to make it more accessible and God optional. Um, I think for those of us, uh, people like me, who um, who do have my own theology and a deep sense of, I'm going to say the divine that I sometimes call God, but I also call that many other things at, at different times. Um, I, I actually wrote, I wrote a, um, a piece that got published in the feminist studies and religion blog called God is my mistress. And it was about how I sometimes feel like my relationship with God is like having a, a secret uh, lover yeah. on the side and that I have to like kind of sneak, sneak her into places with me. And, um, and I, I understand why people, and I have been that person myself. I have been that skeptic um, earlier in my life. Um, and I really want to fully embrace this sense of spirituality and spiritual practice as a resource for people. It's a resource for trauma survivors. It's a resource for people dealing with poverty and racism and abuse. And it's not for me to define what that is for them, but it's also to say, well, tell me about this part of your life. Like what gives you joy or how do you feel connected to your ancestors or when do you feel most at peace? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a, such a cool piece. I'm going to, if you don't mind, we can share it in the episode notes. If you yeah. Read it. Cause I do, I think that would resonate with so many people and I think it helps to kind of demystify sometimes what I, you, you were saying before, like the divine can feel like for people and what it feels like sometimes, why people sometimes feel like they have to hide that part of them. So it definitely resonates with me for sure. Um, well, this has been such a special conversation, I think, and I so appreciate your time. I just want to close with one of my favorite questions to ask folks. And I think you've talked a lot about your journey and the, the way you got where you are now and the deep uh, contemplation and discernment that kind of has gone into all of that. If you could share, um, or maybe what's something that you wish someone had shared with you before um, you were in graduate school for social work or before you embarked on this journey that you would like to share with either our current students or recent graduates that might be listening to this podcast episode. Something I wish had been shared with me. Um, that's such a good question. So many things. Um, I'm sorry, I need to take a minute to. No, think take about your it. time. It's a hard um, question because there's always a lot of answers. I think to this. <laughs> and also, it's like I don't. I want to say something that sounds like cheesy or patronizing or like I think. Um, I, th I think I, one of the things I've been drawn to in this second half of my life, I would say, and a lot of it came through my work with Parker Palmer is this theme of wholeness. And I think that's so much at, at the heart of who we are as social workers is really to see people for all of who they are and to reflect their dignity back to them. Yeah. And so it, it really is like 
what is the, how do you find the vocabulary for yourself? And so for me, I guess it's that, um, the language or the metaphor of wholeness. Mm. Wow. What a note to end on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and appreciate the gifts and your wisdom that you've shared with us. This was really meaningful and special. So thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. This has been so fun. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in and a huge thank you to Karen. You can read more about Karen by checking out her bio and website linked in this episode's description. We are grateful to our supporters, Springpoint Partners, for providing the funding that has made this podcast possible, and to our producer, Emily Overholt. Have an idea for an episode or a design for our podcast cover art? Submit your art and ideas to gsswsr at brynmar.edu. That's gsswsr at brynmar.edu. Thanks for tuning in and see you in the community.